Good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, could you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 7? Hey, you know how Jared had, uh, was reading those things, why the worship team deserved the grace of God? You know, for years, many years, I never deserved the grace of God because I'm from Cleveland. But now I do. Derek, now I, des- now I do. Cleveland won. Isn't that exciting? I called my mom. They said, she said, it's crazy in Cleveland. There's 1.3 million people downtown celebrating the win. Now LeBron James is their God. And everybody, she's going to send me a shirt. I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> Boyd. About two days ago, I was, uh, I was in the grocery store. I think it was a grocery store. And I heard a song come on. It's one of those songs if you... If you listen to the lyrics, you won't get it out of your mind. Have you ever had a song like that where it will stick and it just, oh, it won't come out? This song is an oldie. It's a 1976 song by Paul McCartney in the Wings. And it's, uh, it goes like this. See if you remember it. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do you remember that song? If you remember that song, raise your hand. Someone's not. See, a lot of you, you, you can't get that song out of your mind. And it goes, do me a favor, open the door and let him in. I, I, I have so many memories. My sister, Gina, see, this song was written when I was 10 years old. So that was 1976, I was 10 years old. My sister, Gina, I, all of a sudden, all of these guys, it was the summer of 1976, wanted to date my sister, Gina. They'd come to the front door and they'd have chocolates or they'd have flowers. And I'd say, hey, Gina, someone's knocking at the door. Some, and she goes, shut up, just be quiet. Somebody's ringing a bell, get out of here, you know, that kind of thing. Another guy, knock, 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 Gina, someone's knocking, go upstairs. Like she, whoa, that made her mad. And then I remember one time I was looking out the window, and there's a guy with a suitcase and a vacuum cleaner knocking on the door. I said, hey, Mom, someone's knocking at the door. She goes, do me a favor, don't let him in, and don't, 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 don't let him in. Every once in a while, too, growing up, there'd be a knock on the door, and there'd be two people there, sometimes a guy with a tie and another guy. And one time it was a lady with a small girl and her Jehovah Witnesses, and my mom answered the door. And at the time, I was a seminary student at Moody Bible Institute. My brother was working for a church, and she goes, hey, come on in. I have two people I'd love to talk to you. And I come walking in, and I've got a T-shirt on, and the 1980s Christian T-shirts were cool. Had a Christian t-shirt on that said, Lion of the tribe of Judah. And my brother said, hey, what do you want to talk about? And the lady looked at us, and my brother's a lot bigger and whiter than I am. She said, ah, ah, see you later, and she left. That didn't work too well. That Jehovah Witness thing didn't work too well with us. Anyhow, every once in a while, somebody will come knocking on your door. Somebody will come visiting, and the question is, you'll let them in if they have something you want, and if they have something you need. Otherwise, pretty much, we live in a pretty, what I would say, closed culture. They did some study on the way houses are made now. Back in the 40s and 50s, they used to make houses with big front porches, swings in the front. That's where people would enter. Now, houses are pretty plain in the front, and they go in through the garage in the back door. We don't like to be, we're not that, we don't like to welcome visitors that much. We don't trust them. Do they have what I want? Probably not. Well, we are coming to a section where Jesus comes to town. He's coming to visit. The question is, why? 
Why is he coming to visit? Because if he's not, if he doesn't have something for me, or if he doesn't have something I need, we don't let him in. More and more people aren't letting him in these days because they don't think he has anything we want. So that's what we're going to talk about when Jesus comes to visit. We're going to ask why did he come to visit. And we're going to read verses 1 through 17 of Luke chapter 7. Follow along with me. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When a centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the great gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I got the... Message title from verse 16, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. In other words, God has come down in the person of this man, Jesus, and he's seen healing a centurion servant and he's seen healing a widow's son. He's seen healing a man that had everything and he's seen healing a woman who had nothing in their needs and their desperation. Why would God come down? Why would He? Why would He, the God of all eternity, come and visit us? That's what we're going to talk about today. To do that, I want you to open up to Isaiah 57. I want to use Isaiah 57 as a bookend verse. We're going to start with it and we're going to end with it. And the two stories in the middle are going to illustrate it. And what it answers is the question is, why did Jesus come to visit? Isaiah 57 will tell you. This is what I would say a, um, this is a big picture verse. It shows us who God is and what he's like. 
It begins in verse 15. It says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Now, there's two things that this verse says. First of all, it begins and it shows you where God dwells. He dwells outside. He dwells in eternity outside of time. And his throne is described as high and holy. So as compared to the earth, God dwells in a magnificent, high and holy place. And if we should make one thing perfectly clear... There is nothing like it. When we try to make throne rooms or when we try to make holy places or have a beautiful church with high ceilings and vaulted cathedral ceiling, it's nothing compared to God's place. It says God dwells in purity. That means nothing of impurity can enter it. Nothing. Isaiah 50 says His throne is seated above the heavens and it has a, has a tempest, a hurricane of fire, always churning. Because the idea is that we can't reach Him. We can't reach Him on our own. He's other. He's outside of our grasp. And yet it says in the second part, He dwells with somebody. God isn't just up there, but He's with somebody. This person is contrite and lowly how can God dwell with somebody that's contrite and lowly because of the kind of person he is this is a reference to the Trinity in the beginning was the word and the word was with God this is saying this person that's with God is contrite meaning broken or soft-hearted and lowly spirit he's humble and out of this high and holy place he looks down and those of us who also are poor and lowly. That's what that says. To revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. So in a sense, you could say, why was he sent? Now, number one, he's like us, but he's come to help us. He's come to revive us. That means give back life to us. We are his primary business. Often my dad, when he'd get home from a sales trip, he'd go in the basement, he'd go into his room, lock the door because he had four to five hours of expense reports. And as a little kid, my mom would say, don't go down there because your dad has a lot of business to take care of. And I can remember looking in, he was, he's busy, he had the door closed. You don't go in when dad's doing business. God's business is you. You can always go to him. And he's always looking down to help us we are his business and he wants to revive us and that's what these two stories in Luke are going to illustrate let's go to Luke again and they're going to illustrate God's character and why he came to visit we don't always see why he comes but these illustrations are amazing actually Commentators will say he is trying to, uh, with these two illustrations, represent all of society. He's going to come to a man in need. He's going to come to a woman in need. He's going to come to a rich 
successful person in need, and he's going to come to a poor, broken person in need. He's coming to those in need to revive us. That's the point. But this first guy, in a sense, from if we're going to look at him through Isaiah 57, he's really not lowly. He's a kind of an honorable man. Take a look at him. In verse 3, it says he's a centurion. A centurion is a man of rank, high rank. That means he's got all these soldiers underneath him. Centurion means a hundred soldiers underneath him. Sometimes he'd have a thousand. And this guy even says later, I tell my servant to go this way, he does it, another guy to go here, so he had a lot of power, authority. We would, we would view him like, the best way to put it, at that time, he was working for Herod Antipas, not the Caesar from Rome. He's working for the local community. He lived in Capernaum. Everybody knew him. He would be like our chief of police. He would be somebody that handles crises in the city. So he's got, he was a person of title and high rank. He had a great reputation. Verse 4 says, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him about the centurion, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. He is quite a man. Stellar character. He'd make a great deacon, great elder. 